G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. We're talking happiness this hour. It could be a happy conversation. It may be a challenging conversation for you. And I want to invite you to be a part of it. You can pick up the phone and give us a call on 1-800-316-316 to contribute to our conversation all about the keys to happiness. Let me introduce our special guest this hour, Dr. Sam Chan. He's with the City Bible Forum in Sydney. He lectures at Sydney Missionary and Bible College. He's also a part-time doctor. I'll talk to him about that uh, when it comes to his medical associations. He's a conference speaker, an ethicist, an ex-rugby player, and also a, 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 a retired marathon runner too. Let's welcome Dr. Sam Chan. Hello, Sam. Welcome along to 2020. Hi, Neil. Thanks for having me here. Sam, tell me about your part-time doctoring. As I understand it, uh, you like to laugh about holding the legs for orthopaedic surgeons. Oh, what do you right, do yeah. for that? Yeah, so one day a week I get to work with orthopaedic surgeons. So I'm the assistant, and it's the sort of job that you could do it, like a trained monkey could do it. My job is I just have to hold the leg while the surgeon operates on it. <laughs> well, thanks for, uh, thanks for complimenting me on being a trained monkey. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> All I've got to do is make sure I get the rights and the lefts not mixed up. That is, and we get it right 50-50. 50 time we get it right. I mentioned you are a lecturer at the Sydney Mission, Missionary and Bible College. There, you have a PhD in theology. What is all that about? All right, yes. Um, so I actually used to lecture at Sydney Missionary and Bible College, and I taught theology there because I have a PhD in theology. I also taught ethics, preaching, and evangelism. So I loved it because I could be theoretical in theology, but really, really down to earth for ethics and evangelism. Okay, we have a increased confidence level about what we'll be talking about this hour because uh, with your background and uh, you're obviously a fairly smart cookie, when it comes to this issue of happiness, you have just finished really uh, a series that you've been undertaking uh, with, the, uh, uh, with the City Bible Forum there in Sydney and you've been talking about keys to happiness. What sort of response did you get from people who sat in on your sessions? Oh, it's been really good. So City Bible Forum... Uh, we try to give talks and Bible readings in downtown Sydney to the city workers. And, for example, we were running a store, handing out free food and coffee to people and handing out these pamphlets on four keys to happiness. And one lady just picked up the pamphlet and said, Ah, happiness. We definitely need happiness. So that's the sort of response we've needed. Like, it's really touched a need out there. And the first few weeks we were getting over 100 people coming to the lunchtime talks, which I think is amazing because everyone's so stressed and rushed for time. But, you know, over 100 people were turning up just to hear how to be happy. Okay. Well, I suspect there'll be probably quite a few calls this hour. I'm expecting uh, listeners will call in and want to participate in this conversation. Let me just say to listeners, our talkback line open 1-800-316-316. You might like to tell us what makes you happy. You might like to let us know if you are 
truly happy and what it is that makes you truly happy. What sort of things have you done in the pursuit of happiness? Now, that could be a range of things, uh, perhaps money, power, sex, gambling. Uh, What's the difference between temporary pleasure and lasting happiness? Lots of things you can contribute today. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. Sam, as we get into this conversation about happiness, uh, is happiness something that is elusive for most people? Is there something special you have to understand about it to actually grapple with it and even take hold of it? All right. Yes, well, happiness is something, I guess, all humans chase. Like the Greeks had a really special word for it eudaimonia, meaning if you find it, you'll have a very rich and fulfilled life. Uh, the psychologists use words like uh, fulfillment and actualization, so we're all sort of chasing it. And Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, you know, said, blessed are those, and I think he was trying to use that same idea, that if we can find these things, we will truly be rich, fulfilled, flourished, and happy. Sam, uh, let me ask you uh, about the four sessions you took. Uh, which ones were the uh, most outstanding? And perhaps you'd like to give us a quick, uh, in a nutshell, outline before we sort of get into some more depth about them. Uh, what, what were the four sessions, first of all? All right, so we looked at it as the four keys to happiness, as in if we can find these keys, we find happiness. So one key was success. Uh, the second key was love. The third key was freedom. And the final key was being true to yourself. And the idea is, well, we look for all of these things in our different ways with the idea that if we can find these things, we will be happy. Okay. Well, let's, uh, let's go with uh, the first one that you were talking about. What is success? Because sure. we often look for happiness in our successes. What's the big problem with searching for happiness there? Well, we, success is this idea that we just finally find what we're looking for. And we're all looking for different things. It could be wealth or fame, or social standing, and we find it, then we'll truly be happy. I guess the problem with it is um, we will never know when we finally found what we're looking for. Like, is there more to do? Is there another mountain to climb? And also, um, this idea that we do get it, it's just not as fulfilling as you thought it was going to be. So Nietzsche calls it the melancholy of all things accomplished. And there's this amazing interview with Nick Farr-Jones, who captain Australia to a World Cup win, and they asked, what was it like to hold that trophy up in front of the world? And it doesn't get better than that. You captain your own country to a World Cup win in front of the world with a trophy. And Farjan said, you know, it was this melancholic moment where you thought, is this it? Is this what we all work for? So I guess it's not as fulfilling as we thought it was going to be. And often we think we failed it as well because we don't seem to be finding what we're looking for. So that's a basic problem with that way. I guess if you're talking about success as a gauge of happiness, there's an awful lot more unhappy people around than those who are in fact happy if success was the only gauge. Yes, that's right. I think we just have to rethink what we mean by success. So we typically think success is, finally I did it because I was better, faster and harder working than those around me. Um, But see, I take people to to the story of Jesus telling the story of the rich fool who finally gets what he's looking for. Like he plants a crop and bang, it's a bumper harvest. Now he has so much crop he doesn't know what to do with it. So he basically says, now I can eat, drink and be merry. I'm happy. I've found success. But God calls him a fool. And that's the bit that's just hard to work out. How is he a fool? He worked hard. 
he's saved up and now he can be happy. But I think one very, very, very basic hint comes early on in the story where it says the ground produced a crop. And as Jesus nudge, nudge, wink, wink, saying, well, you know, God actually gave you the success you're looking for. And I think God is trying to show us we're actually very dependent upon him. There's so many factors we can't control in our search for success. Uh, like, you know, he controls the, the rains, the financial climate, even just, you know, um, the, our health. And these things are out of our control. I know that story you're talking about, uh, the man who says, uh, I've got so much, I'm going to build even bigger barns uh, yes. to put all of this uh, produce in. And uh, then I'll be able to sit back and eat, drink and be merry. And I think as that story goes, uh, the, uh, the upshot is uh, the man's called a fool because uh, this night your soul will be yeah. demanded of you. It's like uh, storing up these riches, but for who? Yes, that's right, that's right. So that's the other fundamental problem. Um, we probably define success in being rich, whereas God redefines it, or Jesus redefines it. Well, you know, actually the true success that God's after is whether we're rich towards God or not. So I remember sitting next to a guy at a wedding once, and he was telling me his sad story of him growing up in high school, saying his dad was never close to him, his dad never spent time with him, his parents were going through a divorce, and the dad thought all he needed to do was give more money to this guy, just more pocket money. And this man said to me, my dad never got it. Like, I didn't want his money. I actually wanted a dad. And God's sort of saying the same thing to us. We're chasing the wrong things. He actually doesn't want our riches. He wants us to be rich towards him. He wants the relationship with us. Don't want to leave it till our last segment before we start talking about solutions, Sam. Mm. Uh, when we're talking about success, and we say that success is not the gauge that makes you happy, uh, what shall we say then in relation to God? How does happiness come from God? All right, well, I think deep, deep, deep down, we God has made us, and he's made us to enjoy a rich and fulfilling relationship with him. And see, we're actually looking for that just in all the wrong areas. It's like the man in the desert who's thirsting for water, but he's so thirsty he drinks the sand around him. And of course, that won't quench his thirst. And somehow God has made us really, really thirsty for him. And we can drink the sand around us by thinking, okay, I'm going to fill this thirst, you know, with the trophy family or the, the, the job or the, the trophies. But in the end, they just make us more thirsty for God. What are the sort of things that we'd be looking for if we have relationship with God and mm. we're thinking, am I happy yet? It's like, you know, we're on this journey. Am I there yet? What does the happiness look like? Does it come in the form of, like, contentment or uh, the peace of God? What, is, what does happiness look like? Oh, what does happiness look like? Well, it can look like those things, definitely the peace, the contentment. But I think in the end it's being, just being in a relationship so, you know, what is a happy marriage? Like, I've been married to my wife, well, for 18 years this month. And so what is a happy marriage? Well, it's just being in a happy marriage, and it will be expressed in many different ways, sometimes in joy, sometimes in peace, sometimes in contentment, sometimes in just being able to hang out with each other and enjoy each other's company. And I think it's the same with us and God. We're just being in a happy relationship, and that can be expressed in so many different ways. We'll just check see one more time. Carlin in Albany in WA. Carlin, are you with us? Yes. Great to hear from you, Carlin. What's your contribution to our conversation today? Um, I think happiness is, um, the pursuit of happiness has been a real challenge for me. 
Um, I was married 27 years ago. My husband and I met in Bible college and we had this wonderful plan that um, we were going to be missionaries and go off and do our bit for God. And um, then we started having children and um, unfortunately we were um, we were blessed <laughs> with three, um, four children, but three of them have um, significant illnesses. Our second child has cerebral palsy. Our third child has um, been diagnosed with bipolar personality disorder and ADHD. And our youngest child is type 1 insulin dependent. So my life has been quite a challenge with caring for my children. And um, there's been a lot of times in my life where I really haven't been happy. Okay, let's hear from Sam. When you're going through times of adversity, when you have a big plan to be happy and things come and uh, and uh, and knock you off your pedestal in that sense, uh, Sam, your thoughts on what Carlin is sharing? Sure, yeah. And I, I think it all comes down to Jesus' story about the, the rich man who was blessed with a bumper crop. We just have to redefine what we think is success. So typically we define success as getting what we're looking for. And, um, but Jesus says we have to rethink it as, well, God has a plan for us. And it might be completely different from our plan. So in the rich man's case, God sort of blessed him by giving him the crop, the ground produced the crop. But equally likely, God might have decided, well, I've got different, better plans for you. So we just have to redefine success as, while sometimes God seems to give us the fruit for what we're looking for, but other times he doesn't. And I'm just going to have to trust God that he has a different plan and a different um, way that success might look like for me. Carlin, when you talk about your children and you talk about those illnesses or conditions that your children have, I suspect that you don't love your children any less, but you have had to... Uh, find a sense of happiness, perhaps in a different way than you had anticipated before you had children. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, I love all my children. Um, however, there's been times where I'd say I haven't liked them yep. um, with with how, you know, especially um, dealing with bipolar personality disorder, there's um, been quite a lot of contentious issues in our life um, caused by actions um, from that child. And um, it does take you into a really deep, dark place. And um, like I refer to my scriptures and the Bible and, and I have favorite verses like, you know, that God won't forget me because he's carved me into the palm of my hand and he'll never give me more than I can bear. Um, but I have to admit there's been times where I've been down in the backyard screaming out to God you know, I can't take any more. I want to ask Sam, because when you've gone through adversity, as Carlin mm. has, uh, adversity isn't easy to deal with. Uh, can you go through adversity and be down the backyard screaming and still have an underlying happiness? Well, yes, it just comes again to, again, redefining happiness God's way. So happy isn't just that emotion where we smile and laugh but it's that rich full fulfilled flourishing life what jesus is talking about in matthew 5 was says blessed are those and so 
we play our part and we just got to trust that God just must have a better plan for us. So for some of us, it might mean our business doesn't thrive the way we hoped it would. Maybe our marriage doesn't thrive the way we hope it would. Our health doesn't thrive the way we hope it would. But we're just going to think, okay, God must have a better, better plan. We don't know what it is. And maybe sometimes it's to build character. I remember reading a Stephen Bidoff book where he listed all the great names like William Wilberforce, Martin Luther King, Nelson Mandela. And he said what they all had in common was they had to go through really dark, hard times rather than easy times. So sometimes it's to build an even stronger, bigger future for us than what we had planned. Carlin from Albany in Western Australia, thanks so much for being part of 2020 today. Really appreciate you calling in and sharing your story and uh, talking about It's Neil with you on 2020, Dr. Sam Chan, our guest from City Bible Forum in Sydney. There are City Bible Forums in capital cities all around Australia and uh, people are able to participate in all sorts of activities and events that are run by City Bible Forums, whether it's before work during the lunch hour or after work. A lot of opportunities created in all of the capital cities around Australia. We're talking happiness this hour. You can be a part of our conversation 1-800-316-316. Sam Chan, our guest. Sam, we've been talking about success. Uh, there were four points that you were making when discussing these issues all about happiness. Uh, one of those is all about love and happiness, uh, what Jesus has to say about love, freedom and happiness, and identity and happiness, as well as what we've been talking about with success. Let's come to your second point, all about love and happiness, because we often think if we find the true love of our life, then we're going to be happy. Is that the case? Oh, definitely. And this is something that all cultures seem to have in common. This storyline that if I can just meet someone, a special someone, fall in love, then we will find happiness. Okay. Now, what are the pitfalls here? Because uh, I guess all sorts of things, as most of us know, stuff can go wrong when you're seeking out love and, and doesn't always work out the way we hope. No. See, what's fascinating about love is there are so many dimensions to love there are at least three dimensions there's the passion side so that's the attraction the desire what the greeks called eros there's the intimacy side where you love just hanging out sharing your life trusting the other person and that's what the greeks called philia and there's a third dimension called uh, this is the commitment side where this relationship is somehow permanent and exclusive and that's what the greeks called pragma and what's really, really interesting is psychologists have found that the passion side, believe it or not, only lasts one or two years and slowly fades with time because of what um, they call hedonic adaptation. So us human beings, for some reason, whatever gives us pleasure or happiness, uh, we get used to it. We adapt to it. And after one or two years, uh, it doesn't give us the same pleasure payback. So it's a bit like... You know, we buy a new car, a new computer game or a new handbag and after two years it just doesn't do the same thing for us. Okay, so when we talk about God and love, Mm -hmm. uh, how do we actually uh, understand the love of God in our lives that Mm -hmm. actually can bring a lasting happiness? Oh, definitely. Yeah, so the psychologists say that's why a relationship can't just be based on the attraction side it has to be translated into the intimacy and commitment side. Now, that's what God gives us. So his love definitely 
has that intimacy and commitment component, what the Greeks called the agape love, and there's an unconditional component to it. So what's fascinating is there's always a moment of relationship between a guy and a girl where, you know, one of them will lean over the next and say, what is it that you love about me? And I remember someone saying, don't answer that question. It's a trap because whatever you say will show that your love is conditional upon it. So you, you say, I love your nose. Well, now your love is conditional upon her nose. I love your hair. Well, now your love is conditional upon her hair. And that brings in fear. This is all a bit joking, you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. But that brings fear and insecurity into the relationship because now she's thinking, what happens if I cut my hair? What happens if I lose my nose in an accident? So somehow there's always a component component of being conditional in our love for the other person. But with God, it's so different. It's unconditional. Regardless of who we are, God just loves us the way we are. Okay, that brings a new twist on the idea of happily ever after. Because, Mm. you know, when we meet uh, our opposite, we marry or whatever. And, of course, the expectation is that we'll live happily ever after. What you're saying is happily ever after works when there is a component of love that comes from God. And you're talking about that sort of unconditional love. Yes. Does his unconditional love for us... Uh, overflow in us uh, to those who are uh, our lifelong uh, uh, spouse? Is that the the way that sort of can work? Because we obviously need to have something of an understanding of that unconditional love if we're going to uh, be happy in our own lives. Oh, definitely. It works at least in a way. So at least uh, we have the example of Jesus and his unconditional love for us. So that gives me an example of how I'm to love my wife. And then it's more than that because um, I have Jesus in my heart. So he slowly changes my heart. So I become more and more like him. So I actually become loving like Jesus. So it's more than an example. I'm actually empowered. I become more like Jesus. And there's a fascinating third component. This is something really, really interesting. Psychologists have found for a relationship to work, you need a common mission, a common purpose, as in you're working together for something. And if... I and the other person, if we both love Jesus, that gives us the common purpose, as in I'm going to help you and you're going to help me love and worship Jesus. And together we're going to be Jesus' agents of change in this world where we bring his hope, his mercy and his justice here on earth. One of the other elements that you've tackled is this issue of freedom and happiness. Mm. Uh, Are we truly free? And if we are free, does that make us happy? Wow, this has really touched on a nerve for us because uh, it's our whole Western story and even Australia's national anthem's first line is Australians all let us rejoice. Why? Because we're young and free. And so there's this whole idea if we can be free, we can find happiness. But the amazing thing is most people don't feel free. I still remember at that stall I was talking about where we're handing out free food and coffee and we're handing out pamphlets for our, for our talks on happiness. And the lady looked at the pamphlet and said, ah, happiness, that's what we need. And she turned over and looked at how one of the keys was freedom. She said, freedom, yes, that's what we need. And so this whole idea, we're not really, really free. And one of the reasons that someone's tracked this down is in the West, in the last few decades, we've become enslaved to, I guess, unchecked capitalism, consumerism, and lending. So... On the one hand, we are free to do what we want. If we want the overseas holiday, we can have it. If we want the house, we can have it. If we want the car, we can have it. But to have it, we have to sell our freedom to the banks. And so now we're slaves to credit cards, 60-hour-a-week jobs, and 30-year mortgages. So 
So we're just working, working, working and just never feeling free. Okay, well, sometimes we think of freedom. Uh, well, I'm free because I'm not in jail. Mm. Uh, I'm free uh, because I've got an opportunity to cast my vote because we live in a free society. Yes. Uh, there is a sense in which there are some elements of freedom that we actually do experience. You're talking about a deeper issue. Uh, deeper issues, a whole bunch of them that actually uh, get us all caught up in uh, levels of bondage. We're actually not free to a whole lot of things. Yes, that's fascinating because um, we're free uh, to do whatever we want, to say what we want, to choose what we want. But the great irony of freedom, the great paradox of freedom is whatever we choose somehow then becomes our master. It, It rules us. So if we choose um, success, then there's always another mountain to climb. If we choose to live for ourselves, well, that's just going to lead to loneliness. If we choose to live for money, there's always more money we have to make. If we choose to gain respect, there will always be whispers behind our back that we can't silence. If we choose, you know, have a that the family will never be the perfect son or daughter, husband or wife or father, mother we want for. So somehow it just drives and drives us and asks too much of us. And again, it makes us its slave and it traps us. Well, listeners might like to contribute to our conversation lots in what you were sharing then, Sam. Uh, What is it that makes you happy? And perhaps you've been pursuing happiness and you've thought about some of these things. You might have your own story about how what you were pursuing actually enslaved you. You thought you were free but you were enslaved by the things that you were pursuing, you might like to call us. Let us know your story. Our talkback line open 1-800-316-316. Sam, let me talk to you about uh, things. You know, when we talk about being enslaved, uh, people over the generations have talked about the bondage of the will, uh, the Mm. captivity of the soul, uh, even a deadness of heart. Are these sorts of things uh, as symptoms of pursuit of happiness in the wrong areas? Oh, definitely. See, right now I've got little kids and we've been reading this delightful children's book called Oh No, George. And it's about a dog called George. And on every page, George is faced with a choice to either do the right thing or the wrong thing. So he's faced with a choice, should he eat the chocolate cake or not? And we're all going, oh, no, George. And my kids are on the edge of their seats going, oh, no. And, of course, he eats the cake when he shouldn't have. And he didn't want to, but he couldn't control himself. And then there's a flower bed, and it's, oh, no, George. He digs it up, and he knows he shouldn't have, but he did it anyway. There's a cat, and we go, oh, no, George. And he chases the cat up a tree when he knows he shouldn't have, but he did it anyway. And the book ends with a quote from a Stoic philosopher that says, freedom is not in the fulfilling of one's desires, but it's in the controlling of one's desires. So somehow we're trapped by our desires. But of course the solution isn't just to get rid of desire. We have to come up with a better desire, something that frees us because we desire something better. Okay, let's talk about being a Christian here because a lot of Christians understand the idea that we have a sinful nature. We might be redeemed and we might be renewed, but that sinful nature exists in us and that sinful nature is drawn towards evil. It's drawn towards sin. 
Uh, is this the sort of thing you're talking about? You know, George and his choice, you know, do I eat yeah, the chocolate yeah, cake or I don't? Because we're faced with these choices all the time and the right choice may lead to happiness, the wrong choice to uh, an enslavement here, a removal of our freedom. How do you describe that? That's right. So George needs a new desire. He needs a new heart, a new nature. I think that's what Christianity and Jesus promises us. What's fascinating is Jesus has, he meets a man uh, the Bible calls him a rich young man. And if we think if he's rich, he must be free. If he's young, he must be free. And he's powerful as well. He's a ruler. He must be free. But we find out he's not free because Jesus says, one thing you lack, sell everything, everything you have, come follow me. And he can't. And we realize this man's not free. He's trapped by his riches. And to be free, he should have been able to desire and follow Jesus. And then all the disciples are just downcast, like who can be saved and Jesus says, well, you are so right. It is impossible if it's just left to our own efforts. But with God, all things are possible. And I think what Jesus is saying here is we actually need a supernatural miracle from God where he changes us from the inside, gives us a new desire, a new heart that is free to give up everything and follow Jesus. Wow, what you're sharing, Jesus truly is the champion of freedom. And uh, we'll uh, continue our conversation. Uh, we're talking about keys to happiness today, uh, freedom and happiness. Uh, we've talked about love and happiness, success and happiness, taking calls on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Let's hear from Lance, who is in Glen Innes in New South Wales. Hello, Lance. Welcome Hello, along Neil. to 2020. Yes, thank you very much. I'm enjoying the discussion. Very and, good, Lance. Uh, I, I think there's a word that could be thrown into the discussion that has a lot of significance, and that's the word contentment. Mm. Uh, the scriptures tell us that godliness with contentment is great gain. Paul declared that he had learned in whatsoever state he was in therewith to be, therein to be content. And uh, I find myself uh, at 81 not really looking for happiness but appreciating contentment um, about uh, 35 or 38 years ago we lost a three-year-old to cancer and that was uh, not a, a happy time but uh, there was contentment there because we were very conscious of God's uh, presence with us about seven years ago, my wife, after 50 years, went to be with the Lord, and that was not a happy time, but again, I found there was contentment that it was perhaps more meaningful in some ways than than simply looking at happiness. And my, my comment is that it's not so much what we possess, but what possesses us that gives us the answer to happiness, to contentment. Um, I remember a story years ago about an, uh, a farmer from Midland, US, went to New York for the first time and he came home and was talking about all the wonderful things he saw and at the finish he said, but I didn't see anything I wanted. And that seemed to me to be a... That, that made an impression on me maybe 50 years ago now. And uh, I think that it is a case of managing our lives in such a way that we we are in fact 
possessed or under God's control to the extent that we are contented with whatever uh, he allows to come across our path. Lance, wonderful sentiments there. Let's hear from Sam Chan. Sam, what are, you, what are your thoughts on what Lance is sharing? Oh, Lance is so true. Like, contentment really is the secret, isn't it? Uh, because we're not trapped by just what's outside of us. We're trapped by what's inside of us, the, our minds and our hearts. Uh, and so freedom is to be content, to have a new way of looking at things. You know, it's amazing. They do studies on contentment. They say, if you had... If you made $80,000 a year, would you be content? And everyone says, yes, I would be. But then they say, what if the na- your neighbor's making $100,000 a year, would you be content? They go, no, I wouldn't be. So it's all the way, we- it all comes down to how we view what we have. If we be content, we can be just so free and so happy. Uh, Lance, got you on the phone still. For years, many years throughout my life, and never earned enough money to have any superannuation. Mm. But, uh, you know, I've seen the Lord's provision in needs over and over and over again. And and that's, uh, I guess there is that happiness about it, but it's deeper than that. It's it's a real contentment that you're being reaffirmed over and over again that, that God has got his eye on this little sparrow and uh, he watches over us. And, uh, and in, in the long run, that's basically all we need in life. Lance, uh, let me ask you, Lance, Lance, at age 81, and I'm thrilled uh, that we've got some uh, level of seniority here and someone who can look back on a life uh, that is a, a long life uh, f- uh, for most people. Uh, when you look back on those things and you've been through ups and downs, you've been through highs and lows, uh, the consistency uh, the, of keeping that contentment, consistency of being able to look back on a life and say, I've had a happy life. Are you able to look back and say, my life's been happy because of this contentment, this consistency that I've been able to maintain? Yes, and I believe that it's not, I'm just not looking backwards. I'm still pastoring a church uh, and I, I have involvement. I'm in my 61st year of teaching scripture classes and uh, it, it's because of the contentment of the past that you count every day as another opportunity to do something that's going to give you contentment. I suspect that when you're making a pastoral call, Lance, uh, that there's a tremendous amount of respect because you've got a life story to tell. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I I think that we, you know, uh, we should be caring for the body of Christ. We should be caring for the unsaved in such a way that they take knowledge of us like in Acts that we've been with Jesus. And contentment is going to give that aura of Christ in our lives that will be the means of bringing happiness and contentment to a lot of other people if we're willing to share it. Well, Lance from Glen Innes, thank you so much for being part of 2020 today. Your insights are just uh, treasures. Thanks so much, Lance from Glen Innes in New South Wales. It's Neil with you on 2020. You know why I love conversations like this one today? Because it shows us that when we have faith in God, there is a tangible, substantial difference that that faith in God makes. We can be a believer. We can say, well, I just, you know, in my mind, I say, I believe these things. But when you do believe, these things are a substantial 
increase to the value of our lives and happiness comes from what we're talking about when we talk about belief in Jesus Christ. Sam Chan is our guest. He's from City Bible Forum. We're talking about four keys to happiness. You can still be part of our conversation, our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. Sam, the only one we haven't talked about in your four points on your list is this idea of identity and happiness. Uh, enlarge a little bit what it means to understand who we really are. Oh, definitely. So right now in the West, uh, the whole idea is you, we got to work out who we are. And the answer is, well, we have to be true to ourselves. And this is the movie plot for almost every movie we see. You know, like Billy Elliot, the boy wants to dance. It's not what his dad wants him to do, but it's what he wants to do. Ben and like Beckham, the girls want to play football. It's not what their parents want them to do, but hey, it's what they want to do. Whip it. Ellen Page wants to play roller derby. It's not what her mum wants her to do, but it's what she wants to do. So when you see your high school careers advisor, you ask her, what should I do? Should I be a doctor, plumber, rock star? She's not going to say, well, what do your parents want you to do? Uh, she's going to say, well, what do you want to do? Go with your heart. Do what you love. Follow your dreams. And that's why Steve Jobs is our hero right now. He didn't do what others told him to do. He dropped out of college, did what he loved, and look, he became CEO of Apple, gave us iTunes, iPhone, and the iPad. That's why he's the success story of being true to yourself. Okay, well, let me just bring uh, bring you back to some things we've been talking about sure. when we bring God into this, because some people will be thinking, well, I can be true to myself and pursue all of those things that are rebellious. Yes. Uh, yes. And uh, that, you know, I do what I want to do. Uh, mm. There's a sense in which I pursue my identity by doing my own thing, my own way. Uh, but there's some trap in that identity because it's who you're identifying with that actually might make the difference here when it comes to your happiness. Yes, so the great trap is it creates what's called a reality distortion field. And they're not my words. They're the words that the work colleagues of Steve Jobs had to come up with where they said Steve Jobs created a reality distortion field where he was always right and everyone else was wrong. They said his ego was so big, it distorted the way he viewed reality. It was as if he could bend reality to suit his ego wants and desires. And in the end, he was impossible to work with and disloyal to his most loyal of friends. So I guess uh, being true to yourself actually just means you end up with a narcissistic personality disorder. It's meant to champion intolerance. Hey, you better accept me for who I am. But actually, uh, no, it's meant to champion tolerance, you know, accept everyone for who they are, but actually champions intolerance where, you know, you better accept me for who I am, otherwise you won't be tolerated. And it's colonialism in disguise where I'm always right by definition and everyone else is wrong, and I get to impose my version of truth upon other people. Okay, so people pursuing this sense of uh, seeking out their own identity, doing their own thing, uh, Mm. the pitfall of that, of course, is that it doesn't lead to happiness. Uh, Some people will still be uh, arguing with that. Of course, uh, they'll be thinking, well, of course I'm going to be happy if I can do what I want to do. Mm. Uh, Why is it that anyone would want to submit to God, to Jesus, And how would that bring about happiness in someone's life? Yes, well, the whole trouble with being true to yourself is if I only get to determine what is right or wrong, and by definition, everyone else is wrong if they disagree with me, I'm never open to improvement or correction and never open to another reality. So if there really is a God who loves me, a God who makes me, then I've just got to trust that sometimes he might be right and I'm wrong, 
and I need to be open to him and his improvement and correction, and maybe he's got a better reality to me. So it all comes down to whether I believe there's a God who loves me and who makes me, and he knows me better than I know myself. We're taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Perhaps time for maybe only just one more. Jim is in Kyabram in Victoria. Hello, Jim. Welcome along to 2020. G'day, Neil. How are you going? Good. Jim, what's your contribution to our conversation? Uh, getting really refreshed by this, but uh, just that verse came to me that uh, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is... Um, is health and life to the body. I remember opportunity when I was back in the youth group and um, I had enough money to get my hair cut, but the circus was also in town and I sort of really would have liked, liked to have gone to the circus, but I thought, no, I'm going to go to the youth, I'm going to get my hair cut and set a good example. So I went to the, hair, to the barbers, who was a barber, and um, while I was getting my hair cut, he, I, I saw the posters and he, we mentioned the circus. He said, hey, as a matter of fact, they asked me if they could put a poster up here and I agreed and they gave me three tickets to go to the circus. He said, would you like one? And I said, oh, wouldn't I ever? And uh, it was a family path to the circus and I was only single on my own and, and didn't need that. So I went back home and told this, uh, these people I was staying with and they, they said their family, their son and their grandchildren wanted to go. So I gave them the pass to go to the circus and then they gave me enough money to just go into the to the um to the show sorry not the circus to the show for myself and so I went there but I still was able to go to the youth and and then I don't know how many years after that I ended up helping out with that same youth group for about five or six years not as a runner of it but just just as a helper to the to the people who were running it and just that small choice that I'd made it was like God was saying you were showing initiative in there you know like he says to love him heart soul mind and strength that he gives us the brain and that we have to make those right choices which is what you've been repeatedly saying but it was just refreshing some of the think the scriptures you've used and uh, it just stirred up back in me my thoughts how God had uh, orchestrated that situation to say hey when you make those right choices even small how much they can affect your future Jim let's hear from Sam those choices are important aren't they Sam Oh, yeah, and again, it shows us there's a bigger reality where there's a God who loves us, who makes us, and he actually controls a lot of things we can't control. And that's our problem of being true to yourself. It locks us into this closed, egocentric universe. It's fascinating, you know, when a child is born, they're just so egocentric. They're the only person on the planet, you know. But as a child grows, they realize there are other people. They have needs that matter, feelings that matter. Sometimes they're right. I might be wrong. And I guess if we truly grow, realize not only are there other people, there's actually a God out there who loves me, who makes me, and he controls things I can't control. And really, I need to be open to his plan and his love to me. Jim from Kyabram, thanks so much for being part of 2020 today. Just great to hear from you. Well, we're just counting down now. We're coming up to the news. Uh, Sam, when we talk about these sorts of things, we've been chatting about identity. I guess uh, our identity in Christ means that he becomes our focal point. Uh, When our life revolves around him, we have someone who is uh, a pillar, an anchor, something to actually hang our lives on, and we're not just strayed and doing our own things. Look, uh, we're not going to have a lot of time to have a lot more discussion. Uh, We talked about freedom and happiness. Mm. We talked about love and happiness. We talked about success and happiness, all of these different areas. Uh, Last word very quickly, Sam, uh, uh, how people getting uh, can they get in touch with you in some way? I mean, some people want to will want to talk to you. How do you get in touch with you? I oh, through the City Bible Forum website, citybibleforum.org, 
and through there you just taste all the links. You can hear talks that I've given online and you can also find ways to get in contact with me. Great. Dr. Sam Chan from City Bible Forum, thanks so much for being part of 2020 today. Thank you so much for having me. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.